0: Welcome to Per Aspera and Ad Astra Production, the official podcast of the St. Lawrence Catholic Center at the University of Kansas. Here we're seeking to understand and live the faith in the college environment. We recognize that it's hard, yet we're called to the heights of sanctity. So Ad Astra Per Aspera it is, to the heights through difficulties through the difficulties that we face day in, day out, trying to be a saint, trying to encounter people, circumstances, situations, jobs, homework, everything that life throws at us, how to handle it through the lens of sanctity, taking what the church has given us through the saints, through the scripture, through the writings, through the magisterium, through tradition, through every single thing that's been handed on to us in this huge deposit of faith. We're taking this and applying it to our lived lives here at the University of Kansas so that we can be integrated and whole human persons seeking lives of sanctity towards the Father. All right, welcome back. My name is Maddie Abbott and I will be your host. This week, this podcast episode is a lint special. This week... My name is Maddie Abbott and I will be your host. This podcast episode is a Lenten special. This week in the liturgical calendar, we're kicking off the great season of Lent with Ash Wednesday, the first day of Lent. The goal of this podcast episode is to help you, to help prepare you to receive this season of Lent as it really is, as a season of preparation and penance to prepare us for Easter so we can receive our Lord risen as he really is. So what are we gonna do? We're going to look at what is Lent, where did it come from, what's the point of it, what's the significance of 40. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I really, um, I struggle to fast for 40 days. So let's look at that number and perhaps that knowledge can help us enter into these 40 days better. And then finally, last but not least, how we can enter into this season through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, words that our Lord gives us through the New Testament, through the Old Testament, through the whole entire tradition of the church, to enter into a season of penance okay so what is lent lent is a penitential season of preparation preparing us for the great solemnity of easter so during this penitential and preparatory season we're focusing on prayer fasting and almsgiving the three the three big practices of penance So, Lent is a season of preparation. It's a season of penance. It's associated with the Catholic faith. It is associated with Christians all over the world, including Protestants and Orthodox um, Christians. So, everybody observes it as we enter in and prepare for the great feast of Easter. The formal practice of Lent began after the Council of Nicaea in 325. So, a little bit of early church history for you. In 313, we were given the Edict of Milan, which legalized Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. Before this time, there were a lot of different persecutions throughout the church, which made it even more difficult, I mean, lacking cell phones and newspapers and email, it made it even more difficult to unify the church on like small detail practices, such as when should we fast for Easter? So following the um, Edict of Milan in 313, we have the Council of Nicaea in 325, following that council and out of that council, we actually get the practice of Lent. That's when the whole entire early church um, communicated, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to practice Lent. It's going to be 40 days before Easter. Let's all do it together. So before then, um, and in general now, in general, bishops in the early church and today are entrusted with a local church. They're entrusted with a group of Christians in their specific area And they're tasked with the responsibility of leading them to worship the Lord um, through practice, through worship, through fast, through liturgy. Yeah, those people are their responsibility. So in the early church, um, before cell phones, before newspapers, emails, letters, it's got a little more complicated because how do you communicate what Peter in Rome is communicating as the Pope to... James in Jerusalem. How do we, how do we keep this going? So letter writing was generally the trend. Um, but this was again, before the United States postal service, it's a little bit slow, but to put this into perspective, to help you understand like how this would have worked, um, this practice of a Bishop leading his flock to fast for a particular time or a particular reason, um, is still in practice today. So in a just, it's just in a more unified and clean cut manner. So, here at the University of Kansas, Archbishop Nauman, since we're part of the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, he can lead us as a diocese in a particular fast. You often see this when there are global disasters or wars happening, that a whole diocese will fast for a particular cause. And we're called to take on days of abstinence in which we are called to fast and to pray for a particular cause. So, back to the early church. With each bishop leading his flock, and the logistics of the durations of fast not being settled, there was a lot of variety happening in the church. Of do we have Lent as a season for two days, for two weeks? When is Easter? We don't know. Um, so, a little example of this: Saint Irenaeus, who was a bishop during the, the time um, during the second century, he wrote a letter to Pope Victor um, of the confusion that existed in the local churches during that time. So he wrote. For the controversy is not only concerning the day of Easter, but also concerning the very nature of the fast. For some think that they should fast one day, others two, others more. Some moreover count their day as consisting of 40 hours, day and night. And this variety in observance has not originated in our time, but long before uh, that of our ancestors. It is likely that they did not hold strict accuracy and thus formed a custom for their posterity according to their own simplicity. Yet all of these lived nonetheless in peace, and we also live in peace with one another. And the disagreement in regard to the fast confirms the agreement in faith. So what he's saying is all these different churches have different ways of fasting for Lent. Some are fasting for a day, others two, others for 40 hours. Some were fasting for 40 days, especially in Egypt. It's found that they were keeping a 40-day fast. Um, But despite all these differences, they're living in the same exact faith. So agreement in the faith, agreement in morals, it's just these little, little pickles that needed to be sorted out. Thank you, Council of Nicaea. So following the legalization of Christianity in the Roman Empire, again, Edict of Milan in 313, the Council of Nicaea widely established a 40-day fast that united all of the variations of Lent. So 40 days before Easter, we have the season of Lent. It's really, really incredible to have this kind of unity this early in the church. It existed. If you, side note, if you read um, some of the accounts of the mass and the fathers, that's very stable. the The way that they practice the mass has, from it's the same from the early church all the way up to the present day. Um, and so it's funny to see these little these little um, parts where they're like, we don't really know why we're not all doing the same thing, and then for them to be resolved in the year three hundred, which is amazing. Okay. So why 40? What's the significance of the number 40? The number 40 appears many times throughout the Bible. There are 40 days and nights of rain during the flood in Genesis. Um, again, Noah, the ark, sin is everywhere. There's a purification of 40 days and 40 nights. And then following that, there is, um, the author writes about a new creation. So later on, Moses lives 40 years in Egypt. Then he sent out for a new life, a new mission. Go, for the Lord is calling you to lead his people out of Egypt. Again, Moses, um, he spent 40 days on Mount Sinai where he received the Ten Commandments and then he prayed and fasted 40 days and 40 nights before going down to the people in which they were were to enter into a new covenant with the Lord. Later on, the Israelites journeyed through the desert for 40 years to the Promised Land. Again, Jonah preached 40 days to the Ninevite people. The prophet Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days to symbolize the sins of Judah, and Elijah fasted for 40 days on Mount Horeb before the Lord spoke to him. Then, in the New Testament, we also have this, this significance of the number 40. Christ himself fasts in prays and fasts in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights as he's tempted by the devil. So, biblically, the number 40 is considered a rounded number. It's a complete period of time. Think of how we say... Um, When we're talking about like a group of things, we'll say like, oh, I need some of those or I need a few of those. It's a round way of saying I need like three or four, a handful, and also in regard of years. So when I am speaking in generally in a number between like eight and 12, I might call it a decade of like they are a decade or that's two decades old. It's a round or a complete period of time. Following each of these complete periods of time, all of these complete or rounded numbers, a great change occurs. Let's look at, let's break them down a little bit. So after the 40 days and nights of rain for Noah, the author of Genesis walks us through a recreation account. So we're going from sin to new creation in which like we can again try to worship the Lord. And then from that, a covenant between God and his people through Noah is made. Again, look at Moses. So following Moses' 40 day and night fast on Mount Sinai, we receive another covenant. God's people are getting closer in relationship with him. There's a big change after that 40. The 40 years of journeying to the promised land leads God's people to having a postal address. They have an actual address that says, hey, look, this land tells us that the Lord fulfills his promises. Like in, like in, in the ground we can actually see that he's fulfilling what he says he's going to do again a greater change they're living into this identity as christ or as god's people so following christ's 40 days and 40 nights being tempted in the desert he starts his public ministry his preaching his teaching his healing his miracles um, and ultimately his journey towards good friday and easter sunday before this 40 day and 40 night period we have christ's baptism but really it's those those hidden years that we don't know a lot about The 40 symbolizes a change. For Lent, you should read the whole entire Bible. It might be a great practice, you know. But when you do, and you see the number 40, recognize that in scripturally speaking, the number 40, we're being told that something's happening. Look for a transformation, a change, a change of tasks, a change of directions, a new beginning, or a new life. 40, scripturally speaking, is a signifier of a major change. So maybe in our own lives, it should be too. Maybe this season of Lent, this 40 days of fasting that we're entering into should be a major change to a new beginning, to a new life, a transformation that we can receive and enter into at Easter. Okay, so the 40 days of Lent is it's a penitential and a preparatory season. How do we, how do we have penance? How do we prepare? I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I often refer to myself, quoting St. John Paul II, that I'm an Easter people and all I lose is my song. Let's dive into how do we do it. Christ himself in the New Testament encourages prayer and fasting to drive out demons and equates the acts of charity as charity done unto himself. Again, look at Matthew 25. For what you did to the least of these, you did it for me. When you gave them drink, you gave it to me. When you clothed the naked, you clothed me. Um, again, calling us on to, to pray, to fast and to give alms, to practice charity. The common practice of Christians during this penitential and preparatory season of Lent is to take up the three disciplines, the three penitential disciplines of prayer, fasting and almsgiving. The catechism on the section on penance describes these three, pray fast and give alms. As forms of penance, expressing a conversion in relation to oneself, to God, and to others. In prayer, we are making, expressing a conversion to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Everything that I am is yours. Everything that I am comes from you. And I'm here to give it back. I'm here to pray to you, to give you my life, to give gratitude, um, petition, supplication, and adoration to you in regards to others, almsgiving. In almsgiving, we make a conversion from ourselves to others in which we look at everything that we have, um, time, talent, treasure, money, uh, stuff, all of it. What do I actually need and what can be given away? How can I give of myself to others? How can I live a life of charity? And then finally, um, in fasting, we express a conversion from ourselves to the Lord what am I attached to? What have I put before the Lord? What have I made an idol of which needs purification? How can I fast from these attachments in order to live a life more unified with Christ himself? During this season of Lent, when we take on these practices of praying, fasting, and giving alms, I want to really highlight prayer because In the season of Lent, we're seeking greater unity with our Lord. We're walking with him in the desert. We are praying and we're fasting and we're giving alms with him um, to be more unified with him so that on Good Friday, we can also die with him and so to rise with him on Easter Sunday. So during the season of Lent, pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. During the season of Lent, we're gonna dedicate and rededicate ourselves to prayer. Fasting and almsgiving are very, very good. They are so, so good but they're leveraged due to how we commit ourselves to prayer. So as you pray, you're going to be more free to fast and to give alms because your heart's going to be in the right place. You're going to be one with the Lord in such a way that you can hear and understand his voice. He's going to speak to you like, hey, you're attached to your phone. You're not going to know that in such a clear and convicted way unless you first pray to him and listen and know his voice. So pray fast and give alms. Now you may be thinking to yourself, Maddie, this is all really, really great, but how do we do this? Let's break it down. Okay, so what I would recommend is I would take the three disciplines of praying, fasting, and giving alms, and I would come up with one practice for each of them. So one way to pray, one way to fast, and one way to give alms during the season of Lent. For prayer, I would encourage each, each of us to enter with the whole church and getting to know our Lord in the Eucharist. So for prayer... I would encourage you to enter into the Eucharist. You can do this by committing yourself to Sunday Mass. If you're not going to Sunday Mass, take Lent as a season to say, you know what, I'm going to go to Mass every single Sunday. Here at the St. Lawrence Center, there are ample opportunities on both Saturday and Sunday to attend Sunday Mass. Or if you're already going to Sunday Mass, why don't you take on a devotion to daily Mass? You can go two, one, two, three times a week, or to take up a devotion to Eucharistic Adoration, in which... In a monstrance, our Lord is before us, in which we can see Him as He really is, and unveil our hearts and receive His. The Catechism connecting the Eucharist with penance says daily conversion and penance find their source and nourishment in the Eucharist. For in it is made present the sacrifice of Christ, which has reconciled us with God. Through the Eucharist, those who live from the life of Christ are fed and strengthened. It is a remedy to free us from our daily faults and to preserve us from mortal sin. If you want to check that out later, it's Catechism, paragraph 1436. I'll put it in the show notes as well. But penance and the Eucharist go together. The Eucharist strengthens us and encourages us to keep giving ourselves to the Lord through penance. Okay, so fasting, everybody's favorite, right? Um, Fasting, my friends, ask the Lord what you're attached to. Ask him what you're making an idol of. Is it your phone, social media, a relationship, food, alcohol, whatever it is, whatever reveals to you, and then find a fast, a way to fast that is related to that attachment. If it's social media, give it up, delete the apps. If it's your phone, limit screen time, delete apps that are causing you to spend unnecessary time on your phone. If it's a relationship, what in the relationship needs purified and how can you make a fast from that during this season? If it's food, if it's alcohol, making an actual, um, when people think of fasting, like not eating, like make a fast like that. Don't drink alcohol during Lent. Don't eat desserts. Find something that you are putting before the Lord and give it up. It'll strengthen your relationship with Him. It'll strengthen your entire life. Last but not least, almsgiving. So find a way to live charitably this Lent. Commonly put, it can be time, talent, and treasure, but I want to encourage you to get creative and get generous. Some ideas: If you are uncreative, um, maybe you should work on that. Fasting from a lack of creativity, maybe uh, clean out your closet. So, ladies, you probably have too many clothes, too many shoes. Clean it out. Get rid of things. Give it to those in need. Write letters to someone who's lonely, or better yet, visit them. Call your grandma. Call your mom. Um, and then this one, I really want to, I'm not like push at you. Tithe at Sunday mass. So college students, I know, I know that you're working three to four jobs trying to pay rent and um, tuition and still, still eat food, but is there a way that you could get in the habit of tithing at Sunday mass? So tithing comes from the practice, giving the Lord 10% or our first fruits. He's given, we're giving the Lord what's important to us and entrusting our needs to him. So tithing at Sunday mass is a small way in which we get to actually practice that. So I would encourage you, like, what can you do? Put $5 in the collection basket um, to get in the habit of entrusting our worries and our cares to the Lord. That's what I have for you, that's it. This Lent, I want you to be a saint. Seek our Lord, follow him, and most of all, let him seek you. Rock Chuck.